Welcome once again to the Towards Wholeness podcast. My name is Richard Dahlstrom, and we are here today together with a young man who is doing a tremendous work in the city of Seattle named Rick Newell. Rick had a successful career in technology, but at one point felt a desire to change direction, and it was way back in 2006 that Rick started working uh, at an inner city boys and girls club, and then back in 2012, started a program called MUST. Mentoring Urban Students and Teens is what that MUST acronym stands for. And as you all know, we find ourselves in this particular moment in history in a time of both heightened awareness and heightened tension regarding race relations and a real motivation on the part of many, many people to see progress made in breaking down dividing walls in the matter of race. Many people that I've spoken with have asked the question, what's something that I can do? My hope is that our conversation today will help people see some next steps that people can take. So Rick, I want to thank you so much for joining us. I know it's a very busy time. Thanks for taking time out of your schedule to be with us today. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, Richard. I sit on my exercise bike many times a week and listen to many podcasts and sermons, and you are part of the routine. I don't get to hear all of them, but I, I listen to you a lot, and it's just an honor to get, sit here and chat with you for a little bit. I appreciate it. And I also appreciate you calling me young man at the beginning of this. I turned 50 this year, so I like hearing that I'm still a young man. You're bad. It's all relative. It's all relative. That's right. It's not the years, it's the miles. Exactly. So oh, wonderful, man. Well, Thanks so much for being here. I, first of all, I'm really interested in this career change that you made because it was substantial. And so can you talk a little bit about your life prior to MUST and how your life then led into the creation of this new work that you're doing? Yeah, sure. You bet. Um, I, I'm a Northwest kid. I grew up in Shoreline, went to college and built a decent career in technology. And then about 16 years ago, I had a major meltdown. My life just completely fell apart. And there was a lot of things at the center of that. But one of them was insomnia. I couldn't sleep. <laughs> I know that sounds silly to maybe the uninitiated, but I, if you just imagine how you feel missing one night's sleep and then missing three nights and then a week and a month, and, and my stretch lasted about six months. And there's certainly greater tragedies <laughs> in life that have happened to many other people, but it just really wrecked me along with a bunch of other things at the same time. And it just put me in a hole. And I was I was still hanging out with God. My faith was just barely hanging on, honestly. And I was reading in the book of Revelation, and it says, it's Jesus talking to one of the churches. And he says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. And those words, uh, wake up, just jumped off the page at me. And at first I got really mad, like, you want me to wake up? <laughs> I've been begging for sleep. But the more I thought about it, I thought, yeah, there is just so much in me that is asleep. I, I've been an artist my whole life, and I probably hadn't cracked a sketchbook in three years. And so I started to pay attention to the things that made me feel awake. I was in a really bad hole. I was even thinking about taking my own life. So it was pretty dark times. And I moved home to help get myself back together. I moved into the central district of Seattle with some friends intentionally to do a little home church community and be intentional that way. 
Uh, and I knew I'd have to take a pretty big pay cut, so I wanted to be able to maybe walk to work. And so I started walking the neighborhood, and I walked by the Rotary Boys and Girls Club in the Central District. And if you don't know where it is, you're not going to find it. It's 19th and Spruce. It's tucked away back there. But I walked in, and Miss Patrick, the executive director, gave me a tour of the place. And every room she brought me into, I felt awake. I felt alive. It was just, it was for sure. And so on my way out the door, I said, you don't have any jobs, do you? And she said, no, I don't. Unless your background's computers, and then I would have a job for you. <laughs> and I said, that's me. And so I worked at Rotary for seven years. I was not, uh, not Superman. Superman is in and out. Uh, I stayed for seven years, and uh, it was a safe place for me to heal and get myself back together. And it was some of the best years of my life. But I started paying attention to what I felt were the main issues going on. I felt like there was one that stood out far above all the others, uh, and that was lack of positive uh, near-peer male role models, that if I could ask God for anything or wave a magic wand, that's what I would ask for. That would help the most number of people. It would help the kids. It would help the moms. It would help the society. And so that's what we did. We Eight years ago, we, we started a mentoring program. And what we do is we find black guys who are in college and we pay them really, really well and invest in them to mentor young kids who are the most vulnerable to dropping out of high school. And we're a six-year mentoring program. We follow them four years of high school and we give them a coach two years after high school. And we're in our eighth year and our outcomes are just better than we even hoped it would be. But it means for the last 14 years, I've been intimately involved in the black community. And so I've had a, an education <laughs> uh, coming to where I am. And really, the only reason I'm talking to you now is because I've been doing it a long time and I've made tons of mistakes. My whole staff is black, except for my wife, who's our grant writer. And they've told me that I'm, they, I've acted like a slave owner, like a privileged person, a white person. <laughs> I have made so many mistakes, but I'm really proud that they they feel comfortable coming to me and, and telling me the mistakes that I've made. And so it's kind of put us in this unique position, I think. Wow. Uh, thank you for that. There, I could have 10 follow-up questions to what you <laughs> said. I think uh, I'll make a comment and then one follow-up question, at least significantly. But uh, the comment is, I, I just love your language about uh, feeling awake. And when you talked about going through the rotary and in every room you felt awake, like literally in my body there were chills. It's like, mm. wow, this man found his calling. And yeah. one of the things that we're trying to do on this Toward Wholeness podcast is help people take steps toward their calling. And so uh, just thank you for that word, uh, regardless of anything else. The, the follow-up question, though, is you and I are recording this just a few weeks after the George Floyd incident that has really not just shaken America, but shaken the world. And I would even use the same word, it's shaken awake. It's suddenly, suddenly there's an awareness of this huge chasm that's been historical and systemic. And I'm wondering how in your staff, you guys are processing that right now and how that relates to the work that you're doing. Yeah, it definitely does. And I would piggyback on what you said about feeling awake. I want to acknowledge that often that's a very Western mindset that we have the luxury to think about what makes us feel awake. Yes. Uh, and, and I understand that. But I still think it's it's still a good question in the right context. It's still a question, good question for almost everyone. 
uh, no matter where you're at in life. And it's certainly been a helpful guiding for me. But to answer your question, yeah, our, our staff, like I said, it, are, are all African-American. They have a, I don't lead anymore. Our area director, Kelvin Washington, who's just an amazing guy. He leads the troops now. And I sadly don't get to see the mentors and kids anymore, but that's the way we wanted it to function in the long run. And he, they have a staff meeting online right now once a week. And they, they asked about 45 minutes. And he said last week they talked for an hour and a half, two hours, and they scrapped all the regular stuff and just talked. And some guys were, you know, okay with people rioting and other guys weren't. And he said it was just a really helpful conversation that people had healthy dialogue with each other. It was a good way to understand it. And that's a bunch of, you know, African-American guys talking together and it's a hard conversation. So how much more for people that really aren't, haven't been in the conversation to know how to address it and how to talk about it. And it's hard. And, you know, we could talk for two hours about how to how to do it. But the, the underlying assumption in mentoring is that it's there's a submissive nature to it. You have something that experience or knowledge that I need, and I am willing to learn from you. And that is the attitude you want. Uh, I saw a cartoon and it said, I'm looking for a mentor who will help me get rich without boring me with a lot of advice. <laughs> <And that's, laughs> you know, okay, maybe as a man, I can only speak as a, you know, a man, but that, you know, encapsulates. I don't want to learn. I just want to give me what I need to know and not learn. But mentoring has that quality where you want to learn. So this year, I try and have a guy mentor me each year. And this year, I really wanted to grow and enjoy. And so I get a little intense sometimes, especially at home. We have four boys. And so I've met with this guy named Ray all year. and He's full of joy. And it's, I just learned so much from him. And last year, a guy who was a big exec at ESPN, he's now retired, but I would meet with him to be a better leader. And meeting with him was like doing push-ups. It was just really hard every <laughs> week, you know? But the idea is I was learning. And so my wife was reading about the issues today and somebody had written, it feels like white people are cramming for their exams right now. They haven't been studying and all of a sudden now they're starting to study. And this is not an issue that you can cram. You can't just jam a bunch of knowledge in your head and then have it figured out. You know, if you wanted to learn how to throw a javelin, you'd probably jump on YouTube and figure it out. But if you wanted to be really good, you'd have a coach. You'd have somebody that would talk to you and tell you how to do it live, person to person. The right. same is true for fly fishing or computer programming or, I don't know, building a car, whatever you right. do. Right. And how much more when you're dealing with this really difficult topic. And I think the temptation is just to bury yourself in a book. But I heard somebody read a good quote here. I copied it down for our time. It's by uh, Courtney Martin. And she says, whatever you do, don't use the reading you haven't done yet as an excuse for the action you haven't taken yet. Read alongside imperfect action. And that's what we got to do. We got to move forward and action. And that just, it takes effort and to understand what's, what's happening. And it's an ugly scar across the face of America. It is that we as a nation, we violently took husbands away from their wives and moms away from their kids. And we put them in ships like in sardine cans so we could fit just one more person in. And then when they got here, we submitted them to some of the worst human atrocities that are known to man, Tor torture and murder and rape and just yep. horrific, horrific human conditions. And we didn't do this for 10 years or 50 years. We did it for 200 years. And that is 
that still just sends tidal waves through the black community. And then it's, I think, kind of assumed that it's finished, but it's not. It's, it's still, it's still happening today. I meet with Kelvin once a week and, um, I listen to a lot of business podcasts and this, uh, the founder of the Ritz Carlton, he said he started every meeting with, what can I do? What can I do to help you? What can I do to serve you? And so I've done that with our meetings and Kelvin knows he has an open door every week to really keep short accounts with each other. And there's, it's hard, man. He's, I say something and he takes it totally different and is really offended by it and has to go for a run to cool down. And he says something and I take it different and I got to jump on the exercise bike to get all my frustration out. And it's just really hard. And then you get to hear, you know, firsthand accounts. He, he estimates he's got two master's degrees. He's married. There's nothing suspicious about him. That's not fair. You can't say that marriage or education is a level of a measure of suspicion. You know what I'm saying? But sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he estimates he's been pulled over 30 to 40 times in his life for no reason at all. Um, this year he was running his dog and the police pulled him over and asked, what are you doing here? <laughs> you know, exactly. as a, white male that would never happen to me and then a friend of his came to stay for the weekend and he's a college athlete he's in and he took the dog for a run they pulled him over put him in handcuffs and asked him like what are you doing here and that it's still here it's still happening today and to think that we can navigate that by ourselves or through a book is not possible you need to have people in your life that have been down the road that can speak person to person to you that can mentor you as you go through it and my life is i'm often the only white guy in the room and so i have lots of you know people of color speaking into my life so it's easy for me but someone who's way out in Issaquah or wherever, it's a little harder, but it's worth the effort to find somebody that can mentor you in this just really difficult time. So I hope that gets to your question, kind of the root of the question there. Super valuable. And I'll just, you know, echo that by saying what you, what you've already said, and that's that we don't learn anything without actually doing it. We live in the West and particularly I think in the white West inside our heads in this huge way where we equate, you know, cognitive gains with maturity and wisdom. And that just simply isn't true there. I know people whose heads are full, but have no compassion or no sense of justice or no sense of solidarity with suffering. So I really appreciate that. I think one of the conversations that is coming about as a result of this is a lot of blame of this very complex problem is being laid at the feet of the church. And I read in my sermon last week something about a 19th century bishop who was quoting, isn't it amazing, you know, how because there's 4 million Africans that have now come to America, they're all Christians, we should be celebrating slavery. Mm. And even as I'm reading it, I kind of want to throw up. Yeah. But at the same time, I understand why people are distancing themselves from Christianity. And so I'm wondering what you say to people who are having a hard time with faith precisely because of the issue that we're talking about. Mm, Yeah, it's Jesus is the man. He's the the one hopefully we're always looking to. And the way I describe it to people is to look at your social circle. And I say your social circle would be if you threw a party, say a birthday party, 
who would come, who would you invite, but more importantly, who would come to that? That is your social circle. And if it's, right. if it's full of people that look like you and talk like you or in the same social economic strata as you, then something's wrong. It should, alarm bells should be going off in your head. And to get to your question, Jesus is our, our beacon. And if he lived in Seattle and he had a birthday party, the people that would come to his party would just be a swath of Seattle. You know, it would be tech leaders and religious leaders and gay and lesbian and straight and all races and Amazon workers and homeless people. And it would just be a really diverse party. And a, a guy I like listening to, he says that people that were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. They liked being yep. around him and that is the maybe the biggest knock on christianity is that we are so judgmental rather than creating an atmosphere of of love and acceptance it's it's more of a judgmental cloud and 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 guilty as charged you know a lot of the church is this way sunday is the most divided time in america because yep. people get into their their bubbles and it sort of propagates itself, I think. And so to, again, to look to Jesus that we should work hard to diversify who we call our inner circle, who are, who are our close friends. And I honestly believe I, we're just finishing our newsletter and I just put it in there. Like the path towards healing for our nation is to have genuine friendships between people that don't look like you and talk like you. And It'll make us better as people, and it'll certainly make us better as a nation in the long run as people cross-pollinate and get to know each other a little better, I think. Ah, that's wonderful. And that newsletter will be available, I think, <laughs> at mentoringisamust.org. Is that right? Because uh, uh, You can sign up for the newsletter. I don't want this to be a plug for what we do, but you can uh, sign up for the newsletter it. on our website. <laughs> I, I, you're not plugging it, but I, I want to read the article. So now I'm going to go sign up so that I can get the newsletter because I so appreciate the wisdom that you're offering there. Mm-hmm. Uh, another, in fact, coming back to mentoring now, a question, a question I have is why do you think mentoring doesn't happen more frequently in our culture. We ever it seems like everyone knows this is a very important component and yet some of my own experience in uh, the churches I've led over the years have been when I've asked for people who would be willing to be mentors in general there are more people wanting to receive mentorship and fewer older people willing to actually invest the time. And I'm just wondering you've probably thought about this a little bit why do you think that is? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's really hard. If you want to be mentored, it's hard to find somebody to mentor you. You know, it's almost like 10 asks to get the one. <laughs> yes. Right. Uh, but it, 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 it definitely takes intention. And I think we handed out it earlier that people gravitate towards what is comfortable and not and not working hard. And mentoring means you have to listen to somebody speak into your life. And mentoring means you're going to have to change. You're going to have to, but the guys that mentor me, I just tell them, or the people that mentor me, I just say, I, I will read any book you want me to read, any podcast. I'll do anything you want for the next year. I'm, I'm yours. <laughs> and that, that just takes a little bit of humility, which is really sad because Jesus modeled it really well. He he didn't invest in the thousands that were following him. He invested in, in just a few. I've heard it described as 12, 3, and 1. He invested in his 12, but he really invested in his three, Peter, James, and John. And then his one was John, that we shouldn't be about big numbers. We should be about 
about life on life, you know. Discipleship is subversive. You don't get to see the results of it right away. You don't fill a stadium with it. But over time, it's just a really powerful thing. I have this picture of some guys that I invested in years before, five guys. I just spent, I just poured my life into them. It was just five guys. But then I have a picture recently, and everyone's married. They all have kids. At least one or two married has been saved because of those relationships. But it's the picture is just packed with people. Uh, and you don't see that while you're doing it. You don't get to see the future of the people that you're investing in or who's investing in you. So it's just not glamorous. You know, you don't get to see the effects right away of what's happening. But it, it should be paramount in our minds. Just like if your social circle is just like you, you hear uh, on the when the planes are crashing in the movies, you hear that female voice over the PA right. saying, pull up, pull up, pull up. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I think that should be for discipleship and mentorship in the Christian church, that if, if you're not mentoring people or pe- people are not mentoring you, that alarm bell should be going off in your head saying, pull up, pull up. You're not you're not doing something right. You need to. You need some. Need some help. That's awesome. So, echoing a little bit of what you're saying, my mentors have come out of the torchbearer community that I've been privileged to participate in for a number of, well, actually a number of decades now, uh, coming on thirty years that I've been involved with torchbearers, and the it's funny to me, th- there was never in th- in that thirty year period for me never kind of this formal okay, I'm going to mentor you, and here's our curriculum. Instead, though, I can tell you, like sitting in significant staff meetings at one of the Bible schools where I teach, watching the leader lead, and having that change my leadership forever, I can tell you phrases from Mm. conversations with those leaders that I've taken to the bank and built entire ministries around, right? And so there's a mentoring model, I presume, and it was true for me, that's really organic, you know, like no formal, we're going to meet at this time each week. And and then I'm presuming that there are other models that are much more structured. Can you speak to that spectrum a little bit and how people develop their own mentoring style and how that's worked in the, in the work that you lead as well? Yeah. First of all, I went to a torchbearer school in between my junior and senior year of college, and it it changed my life. I spent a year, took a year off college and traveled through New Zealand and Australia and went to a school outside Sydney. And it's left a powerful imprint on me too. So I I really love your relationship with that community. It's pretty great. Yeah, I think there definitely is a spectrum of, of mentoring, but I think there should be included in that what i feel is modeled in the bible is uh, some kind of submissive idea that you you're ahead of me you have information that i need and i i would like to learn that from you whether that's jesus and the disciples or paul and timothy i think the formal relationship uh, I, I don't it shouldn't be open ended we give guidelines as far as mentoring relationships go and it shouldn't be hey let's meet you know i i asked one guy to mentor me and i totally misjudged who he was and for 45 minutes every week he just talked the whole time he didn't he didn't ask anything about me he was not interested in me he just wanted to talk the whole time and but it was a time frame and I said let's meet for three months and you can and then at the end we can readjust and figure out what's going on so there should be a, a time frame to that to see if it works but I think the more formal is sort of accelerates the learning process. It gives person the permission yeah. to go into your life and to say, hey, this 
this part of your life doesn't seem to line up right now. There's something that really kind of bothers you. And when somebody is into your business like that, I think it accelerates your growth. But if you're just a passive learner to someone in the room, someone you see on a regular basis, I don't know that I would call that mentoring. It would just be learning in a, in a normal sense. But I think mentoring or discipleship in its true form, it accelerates your learning. You 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 grow quicker than you would just kind of on your own steering yourself. So I don't know if that really answers your question, but no, <laughs> that's it what comes to mind. I, I really appreciate the word about uh, submission inherent in that. I know in one of these experiences that I'm speaking of, I was teaching at one of these schools and then was debriefing with this guy who's 15 years older than me. And uh, he said, how class go? I said, oh, the students are just completely unresponsive. I asked the question and it was just dead silent in there. And then he said, what question did you ask? And when I told him the question, he goes, well, that was the worst question I've ever heard. I would never ask that question. Of <laughs> students. And it's like, if I take that little vignette and multiply it by a hundred, those kind of things have shaped me so profoundly because here's people older and wiser than me that are speaking into my life. Uh, and that's a win and much needed. So mm. thanks for that. So if we were, as we wrap this up, we've talked about race, we've talked about mentoring, we've talked about being on the receiving end of mentoring, being on the giving end of mentoring. And all of this under this umbrella of for everybody, there's a practical step to take in this arena. If you're speaking now to a broad audience rather than an individual, what single step would you ask her to take toward wholeness related to the things we've been talking about? I know it sounds cliche, but I, I genuinely mean it. Get to know Jesus better. He is he's it, man. It's either it's either all true or it's not true. You know, either he rose from the dead or he didn't. And if he did, it is it is world changing. It really is. And the things that he sets out, his many, many teachings, they are life changing. I just went over some of them. We we leave the Bible. We have four sons. We leave the Bible on the dinner, dining, dining room table. And sometimes we open it. Sometimes we don't. But we just read the one about, you know, if somebody punches you, what do you do? <laughs> it's wow. so relevant for today. I think it's just his teachings are so good. Uh, so that that's the obvious one. But the other one I, I would say is what we already said, that you would change your social circle. We all have a maximum capacity of people we can socially interact with in a quality way. And so if you want to change your social circle, you're going to have to say goodbye to people or goodbye for now. You're going to have to say, you know, I'm sorry, I I won't be able to hang out with you. When I moved back to Seattle from Colorado, I knew my life was going to be different. I grew up here, I had tons of friends, but I literally threw a party and I invited tons of people there and I literally told them, I said, I, I love you all, but I really would like the kingdom of God to advance here in this city and hanging out with you all is probably not the best way to do it. And uh, so I told them, this is where I'm going to go, this is what I'm going to do, and you know, I love you, but I would like to diversify my life a little bit. And it was one of the best decisions I ever made. It was so good. And so I, I would ask people to just take a, no matter what you believe, if you believe in Jesus or not, or you have faith or not, or what color your skin is, what race you are, I think it's good advice for anyone that if your social circle looks like you and talks like you and is in the same social economic strategy, I would work hard to diversify that to, start getting some other people in there and you definitely will be better because of it. I, you know, just the way you live life will, will be better. I think it's just a, 
it's a complete learning process. You know, when I moved into that, we live a block off of Rainier Avenue and it used to be one of the most diverse zip codes in the country. I don't know if it still is, but you go to the grocery store and it's everybody. <laughs> it's, it's so beautiful, but it, you just have to learn. There's a large Muslim population here and I didn't know much. And so I literally went and bought Muslim or Islam for dummies and went, went through the book and, and just started learning. And so I would just say that to, you know, diversify your social circle and, and just learn. And it's just, a, I think, a very beautiful journey. That's a hopeful, challenging and encouraging word, Rick. So thank you very much. Again, Rick's work is called Must, Mentoring Urban Students and Teens. His web address is mentoringisamust.org. I really, I know he's not going to push his own stuff. And we are here for a larger conversation, but I want and hope that you are able to check out the tremendous work he's doing. There ought to be a thousand works like this around the country because this is what's going to change the culture. So Rick, thank you so much for taking time out of what I know is a very busy schedule right now to share your wisdom with those who listen to our podcast. I'm very, very grateful for your investment. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. It's been been very fun. appreciate it, Richard. I look forward to chatting in person where we can actually shake hands. I miss I miss a handshake. It's silly out. Well, I, oh, I miss that, but have some breakfast. That would be really great. May it happen soon. Well, you have been listening to Toward Holness Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.